record. Alicia Barnall is about to four-peat. The only man in history to do it. Kara Gotcher, she wanted to do this event. It was important to her. Here in Duluth, how sweet it is. Her arm raised in triumph. Welcome, everybody, to the Gearing Up for Grandma's podcast, brought to you with the support of Essentia Health. I'm your host, Peter Graves, and thank you so very much for being with us. Our guest for this episode is Doug Nilsson, a longtime volunteer and a Hall of Famer with Grandma's Marathon. He has a very big job on race day. He's in charge of the communications uh, for that and so much more. And we'll talk about that first. Doug, uh, welcome to our podcast. Nice to have you with us. Thank you, Peter. So I mention right at the top here that it's one day, uh, but the truth is it ain't one day. Uh, you, you, uh, there's lots of meetings and uh, a lot of lead up to race day. You've had a, a long background with the city of Duluth. I believe this year will be your 30th year. Is that right, Doug, of uh, uh, overseeing the communications aspect? Uh, working with it and overseeing it, yes. Okay. Pretty much, yeah. In communications, I started uh, in 1988. All right. And uh, as we said, you, you were inducted in the Hall of Fame. And uh, on the next couple of podcasts, we wanted to focus in on uh, volunteers who have a big job and have been around a long time to uh, help uh, uh, show a behind-the-scenes look at the race. So, Doug, you oversee, I, I guess, a group of about 70 spotters that are, are they all on ham radio? Yes. Our network is set up to primarily communicate on amateur radio because we control the whole thing. It's real time. It's radio to radio so that we don't have to worry about any other infrastructure that possibly might fail. So, yes, we do it on ham radio. At one point, and uh, you'll have to excuse me, you, you were up uh, on uh, around the announcing booth. Are you still there now? No, I am the last person to finish Grandma's Marathon every year. Is that your location where you where you oversee it from? I'm on I'm on a motorcycle. I've been on a motorcycle for many many years. I'm responsible for calling in. The timing starts to the finish line for both the half and the full marathon. I've been doing that for probably 12, 14 years now. And I wait till everybody starts the full marathon. And then I come down and make sure that there's nobody left behind. So uh, you've got a big network. And, and of course, safety and medical concerns and weather, they're among the things you're monitoring too, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. Up until this year, we had a person actually at the weather service that was there with the meteorologist that was providing us information real time. You know, we didn't have to turn on a, a radio station or anything per se. We actually had a body right there where we respond to the weather service. And the fascinating thing is, of course, for the runners, this is in a way all behind the scenes. It's for their safety. Just as far as what you're monitoring, uh, it's got to be like weather and medical and things like that, right? Race course safety. We sweep the course up from the finish to the start every year. 
and make sure that nothing's happened since the last of the Marathon personnel have been up, you know, with signage or whatever it takes. And when we get to the half marathon, I'll call the race director and let the race director know that everything looks good. That's one of the things we do. Our primary thing, though, is health and welfare of all of our runners in the race and spectators. We just want to make sure that everybody is taken care of and that they have an enjoyable time. Yeah, well, you've, you and your team have done a remarkable job because uh, it has been enjoyable and, uh, and it's been very safe. So uh, I, I sort of wrote down here, uh, looking back over your experience, uh, what have some of the specific things that you've had to deal with over the years from either weather or, in broad terms, medical or, or those sorts of things, Doug? Uh, well, you, you know, with the, with the medical staff that grandma's has that works, uh, we've never really encountered anything too bad. Uh, one of the instances that we didn't deal with, but it was <laughs> to me, one of them things, some poor lady at the start a few years ago actually tripped over the timing mat and took herself out of the race right after she took her, like her second step. That was but we took care of her on that. And uh, weather-wise, it was, I'm trying to remember back too, because Scott Keenan was still race director back then. We had thunderstorms in the area. And they actually started the half marathon in a downpour. So uh, the coordinator that I worked with back then, Jerry Frederick and I, we got on our motorcycles and we started heading back up. And we couldn't get but two miles because Scott was constantly calling us, you know, because we had the weather person up there. And what does it look like? What does it look like? And finally, when we got to the start of the full marathon, Scott asked us, well, <laughs> I suppose I shouldn't say this, but he did. He asked us, what do you think we should do? And Jerry and I both agreed, based upon the input from one of the guys up at the Larsmont aid station, he said, you got nothing to worry about. That storm's going to come up, and just south of here, it's going to turn and go out into Lake Superior. That's what the guy said. So we delayed that. that we delayed the start of the marathon. Is that right? We delayed it 20 minutes. And the storm came up, turned just south of Larsmont, went out into Lake Superior, we started the full marathon drier than the half marathon, and there was far less medical, you know, as far as blisters and chafing and stuff like that from the full than there was for the half. That's interesting. I mean, I think back, we've encountered all different kinds of weather. Often, it's just very nice, a nice spring day in a way up there. Uh, but um, we have had some wicked heat. Uh, and, uh, and we've had some downpours. So I guess you're, you're monitoring all this stuff. Constantly. We've got a person that sits right there with the meteorologists. And if the meteorologists have anything that they figure is pertinent, they'll give it to that person real time. And then he relays it to what we call our net control. And then from there, we, we do whatever we need to compensate for that. And have we ever uh, put up a, a, a yellow or red flag kind of system uh, during the races for heat uh, that you recall? 
I believe we did a black once, but that was before they changed the designation to where if a black goes up now, the race is either going to be shortened or canceled for the conditions. Back then, the black was the most severe. Runners were encouraged to hydrate, extreme hydration, and to pace yeah. themselves. But I think there was one time. Yeah. And I know we've ran under yellows. We have run under yellows. Yeah. And we've also ran under what used to be a white, which was for uh, cold. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Do you remember on how warm it was when uh, you had these designations? Do you recall? If I'm not mistaken, the one that I'm thinking that they did, we had temperatures that were 85 degrees that day. And the humidities were up real high also. It, it was labored conditions for the runners. And now where are these other, this large group of people, Doug, uh, are they along the course with uh, citizen band radios? No, they, they, these are ham radios, not citizen. Oh, ham radios. Oh, okay. Yeah. Excuse me. Yes. They're ham radios. There is a difference. Uh, we have people, we've got usually six motorcycles that have ham radio operators. We, this this is used between the aid stations. Then we have at least one amateur operator on a radio at each aid station, starting at mile three and all the way to the, and including the medical tent at the finish. Plus, we've got them at the medical tents at like McQuaid and uh, we'll call it mile 13-1. There's a medical tent there too. They've got the new medical tent that night east. We've got people at each one of them, too. And then, of course, uh, our medical team, which is four guys that are in the tent at the finish, which serves as uh, our medical communications to the doctors and also for uh, just the control of what needs to be done on the course. You talked about, uh, you know, when Scott was the director, uh, you having a lot of contact uh, with him. Uh, who uh, Now, who do you relay this information that you're gathering to at the grandma's organizing group? Well, our primary information race day will go to the doctors at the medical tent. That's 90% of our, our radio traffic or talking that day has to deal with runners dropping out or runners that are having a certain medical condition. We can get to a doctor real time down at the tent. We can even put them on the radio and they can talk to the person up at the site of whatever is happening and they can relay traffic that way. So, uh, shifting gears just a, a little bit here. Uh, Doug, did you grow up in Duluth? Born and raised. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then you, you worked for the city. Uh, for many, many years, right? 32 and a half years, yep. So I want to kind of ask you a question of, so this race has been at your hometown for a long, long time. You worked with the city, which is a vital part of Grandma's Marathon. For you personally, how do you hold Grandma's Marathon? How do you view it? it uh, I'm thinking this is uh, very much a labor of love and that you see how important it is to the Twin Ports. By far, yes, I agree. 
I couldn't word it any better than you just did. I've known of Grandma's Marathon ever since the first race was held. In fact, a couple of the guys I graduated from high school with were on the original North Shore Striders. They ran, they ran that first race. Yep. And uh, getting my amateur radio license when I did, which was probably 10 years into Grandma's, I made myself available to help with it from the moment that I was able to and got to know the people that were already involved with it. So uh, I think Grandma's Marathon, just my prejudice, and I do a lot of other events too I help with. I help with the Rollerblade Marathon and I help with Grandma's up at the Minnesota Mile and we do the Wild Duluth for Andy Hollock and... Uh, just a great bunch of amateur radio operators here. I think Grandma's is probably the defining event right now for our community up here. I really do. Yeah, it's it's great to hear you say that. And I, and I, I want to, um, I mean, it, it's a very big economic booster. There's no doubt about that for, for uh, the area. But when we have on this podcast interviewed a lot of athletes, they continue to refer to this is so friendly. Everybody is so nice and, um, and we're treated so well. Those are really nice things to hear. It's an affirmation of grandma's marathon and, and also of the people, the volunteers that help make it happen. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a very deep held kind of pride, I think. We take a lot of pride in it as the communicators, too. You know, uh, every single person that goes to an aid station, uh, our people want to make sure that, number one, they're accounted for. Number two, they're comfortable. And if there's a need that we can do to help them, they get it. You know, we people have dropped out during the race sometimes, and we've actually... Uh, help with them to get a hold of relatives and they've stayed at the position they've dropped at. And we've actually called them on the phone, let the medical people at the finish know that they've dropped, you know, that's one of our jobs too. And uh, we've helped them line up a ride so that the people can tell them how to come up to get them, especially for people out of town. We give them a route so that they can come up and get them. And I, I'm sort of curious too, like, does the city uh, have to do any uh, technical work on the roads? Like, do they? Ha uh, I realize the whole race is not in the city of Duluth, but uh, does the city have to uh, sweep? Uh, you know, uh, tell me a little bit about that aspect, the technical aspect where the rubber meets the road. Well, yes, the, the city is very diligent about making sure that that race course is absolutely as safe as possible for the runners and uh, they'll patch the road for any potholes or places where people could fall in. They, they patch it. Then they go out the morning of actually, and they'll wet it down and they'll sweep it and then they'll flush any debris to the side so that the course is clear and they go way up to shore. I think they probably went up above, uh, Brighton Beach area up there. And then another one of the things is, and that's the crew that I was in charge of for the last 10 years I was with the city, is the traffic maintenance people. 
We did all of the signage and coning and barricading for the race so that uh, traffic couldn't get onto the course, at least all the way up to Brighton Beach. And then we actually had one barricade because, of course, the city goes almost all the way up to McQuaid Road, right? What there's one street up there that goes through. It's ninety, I think it's ninety eighth Avenue East. <laughs> yep. And uh, a real good friend and and uh, guy uh, Don Fennessy. We gave Don a barricade <laughs> so that, and he he volunteered to put that one out because it was a an awful long distance to go for just the one. And that's what makes it work. You know what I mean? It really does. That's that's awesome. And um, what kind of day is it for you on race day? You're up early, I guess, and uh, it's quite a long day. Usually on the road by 3.30. Wow. Yeah, and, and down, and we've got, we usually set up our communications in the medical tent, most of the antennas and stuff the night before, but then they bring the radio equipment in, and we are patched in also to all of the data stuff too, so that when people drop out on the course, we actually put the number in because as you know, grandma's has got the ability for people to go to the web and find out just exactly, you know, how their family's doing. And so uh, that takes a little bit of work. Plus we sweep that course too. And not everybody can get their uh, identification and stuff. There's a last minute bit of that to do it. So, uh, yeah, usually about 3.30, I'm out the door, and I park the bike probably at 4.30 the next afternoon. It's a long, long day. I don't want your hours, man. I don't have to be down to the finish line for a start announce until 6.30 a.m. Uh, you're up early. I always told them that the little Energizer bunny is pretty wore off. <laughs> <laughs> So, in uh, looking back in this area that you work and have worked so long, any particular story that uh, either funny or or poignant or whatever that uh, strikes a nerve with you that you want to tell? Well, it, it, I wouldn't say it strikes a nerve, but there's a couple of cute things. Uh, for several years, there was a, a young lady out of the Twin Cities who was invariably always the last runner on the course you know very charming lady well one year she came across the start line and she had a backpack on and i mean you know it's a struggle just to run with your your, you know your light clothes on and and it was i as i recall it was a warm day too so I constantly will talk to the people at the end of the race. I'll come up to them and I'll say, you doing okay? And then I get the unkindly job that when things get stretched out, I'm the one that have to ask the people to move into the bike lane on the lake side because the time constraints and, you know, give them the a little guide. Well, anyhow, this young lady said, well, you'll have to come look for me. And I go, why? Well, she says, I've got a couple of picnic lunches in my backpack. And she says, I, I know there's some good scenery. I'm going to stop and have lunch. <laughs> uh, we accommodated her to the best we could. We really did. Uh, and, and just everybody's so nice. 
That's a that's a a lovely story. Uh, have you ever uh, gotten together with other races sometimes to talk about these things that you work on, Doug? I usually don't get a chance per se to talk to people that I shouldn't say that I have a neighbor. In fact, he's a uh, local contractor. He ran grandma's for many, many years. And he always said to me, you know, great race. You know, he, he, he was a, a medium runner. You know what I mean? He wasn't one of the fastest, but not one of the slowest, you know, and I'd always ask him, did you have any problems? And he'd say, no, uh, uh-uh. You know, the eight stations were great, and uh, he's getting to be close to my age. And, you know, he he just said it was a good race. Uh, you were, and I, I was there that day, uh, you were inducted into the Grandma's Hall of Fame with uh, a lot of uh, very interesting, talented people. And what was that moment like? I, I, I know you were very, very touched. I, I was, and uh, at, at, when I was informed by then race director, <laughs> Shane, that I was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, I said, I won't be there. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? Because I, I said, I don't deserve it. It's, it's nothing that I did. It's the people in the ham radio community that make that part of it work. They, they really do. It's just a fantastic bunch of people. They're very professional and uh, they know what they have to do. But I was just totally, when I got told that, I was just totally, I, I, I guess the other thing is too, I, a few years before that, I was given the Ruby, Rudy Purpich Public Service Award too. And that one, that one just totally floored me too, because I could think of so many other people in in the government entity, you know, being on a traffic crew and in charge with working with, uh, at that time, Skip Stolbrin, who was the police officer that coordinated all that. You must have known Skip from, I think he ultimately got that award too, but I didn't think of anything that I did that deserved getting what I got. It's kind of the answer I expected from you, which is is very, very lovely. What do you want people to know uh, not just your job, but but everybody that volunteers. What what do you want people to know about the spirit of volunteerism? What it adds to your life and everybody else's who helps out. I don't know. That's a that's a good question. But what I what I think about volunteering is is that you just you're doing something above and beyond. You really are. And when it comes to the races and, and stuff in, in the area, with the infusion of uh, visitors coming in town for that purpose and providing, might not be a good term, a good product for these people to come and enjoy, and you being part of that and knowing that, you know, you're giving your time to help out with that, it's... You know, yeah, it's awesome for me. Well, you know, I wouldn't have been around for this many years if I didn't think it was fun. It's really lovely to talk to you, Doug. And uh, I, I really appreciate you sharing uh, your feelings. It's fascinating to me. Well, it's, it, if, if you're working for something great, how can you be not great? You know what I'm saying? 
This race, especially Grandma's Marathon, they go above and beyond to help out, to help us create volunteers. And I've got people that have been calling me before we even put the plea out this year for communications and saying, hey, if you need me, I'm available. Well, you're a, you're a, a gem of a guy, and thank you so much for uh, your great spirit of volunteerism, and, and we'll look forward to seeing you at Grandma's. I, if you're there that late, you're going to see me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doug. Thank you so very much. Well, that's it, folks, for this week. Another episode of Gearing Up for Grandma's, the podcast brought to you with the support of Essentia Health. New episodes will come out the second Wednesday of each month. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends about us. Thank you again to this week's guest, Doug Nilsson. We enjoyed talking with him. Grandma's Marathon is proudly presented by Toyota, Members Cooperative Credit Union, and ASICS. Run fast, run far, and have fun, everybody. I'm Peter Graves. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again next month. So long.